Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today uh, on Skype, we've got Valerie Teller. She is a lawyer turned coach and trainer who helps people find fulfillment in their work. Welcome to the podcast, Valerie. Hi, Petra. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. Yay, thank you for joining us. So fill in in the blanks for us. Uh, uh, Let listeners know, uh, what are you passionate about at the moment in life? At the moment, I am passionate about well-being, actually, in in my own life. um, Circumstances have been such that um, they're not been easy I guess and so it's you're, you're been in the right place, a real <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's been a real life um lesson to focus on what do I need right now for my well-being because yeah well-being is something important that we have to create because it doesn't happen by itself is what I'm finding out and when, and when you mean when you say well-being what do you mean do you mean like peace of mind do you mean like physical health what what sort of things balance it's it's all of those things it literally is all of the things that make me feel well in my body Mm. um so it is absolutely physical well-being like things as basic as do i feel rested Mm. um it's also emotional well-being you know feeling connected feeling loved loving others which always kind of, um, you need space and time to create those, those moments. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And making those choices. Yeah, and I'm finding out that that, that um, quest almost for well-being doesn't necessarily mean it's all easy and rosy. That sometimes it does require making difficult choices, especially when, you know, because you said the word space and, <laughs> mm, <laughs> um, space time. And time. Sometimes, yeah, you, you have to kind of say no to others expectations and that's not always easy you know what I sometimes tell people uh, who I interview on the podcast everyone I interview gives me a message personally that I need to hear today it's very bizarre Uh there's some kind of universe you know voice thing that happens for me and literally I wrote in my journal uh, yesterday um, uh, revisit how to say no to things in order to look after myself. Wow. Right. And you literally wow. just said those words. <laughs> so I think this is what I need to <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. Because as I said to oh, you I be- love that. before we started recording, I've, I've sort of given my notice into my job. I'm jumping in, taking the big leap into personal business. And it feels like I'm doing five jobs at once, uh, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going, Hmm, how do I practice what I preach and not fully sort yeah. of burn out and crash? Right. What do I need to say right. no to in order to look after me? Mm. Ooh, I'm excited about mm. this one. All right. Yeah. So, Valerie, <laughs> take, take us back for a minute. Give us a little bit of context to you. Um, it, give us yeah. a sense of uh, sort of your, your childhood, your parents. I mean, do you think parents and, and maybe the education system prepared you for, for you know, real adult world? 
I think the whole of life prepares you, possibly <laughs> yeah. not in the way you think, like no. giving you the tools and skills. Yeah. But it certainly gives you the 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 experiences if you're willing to take them as as opportunities to learn, as um, giving you that. So my life, um, I I uh, was born in Belgium. Actually, I'm half British half Belgian, as you know. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in, in Belgium, South Africa and France. So I, that contributed to me being me in the sense that I never felt, I always felt like a bit of an outsider. So I think that, and, and because I've got quite an active mind as well, means that I've always questioned things. And my parents are quite conventional. So growing up, the reason I became a lawyer was because I actually wanted to become an actress and they were like, there is no way you're going to become an actress. You're going to university yeah. and you can choose anything you like, except it's got to be something sensible. So all of the things that... <laughs> Only sensible choices. The, yeah. So as the three choices that I had identified as being sensible, it felt like um, law was the least worst of, of the options <laughs> that I, I could see kind of thing. And the thing is, I was miserable because um, that's most long that training, time. isn't it? Yeah, in all, I, I mean, I did a master's. I started in France and then I came over and did a master's here. And then I went on to train to become a barrister. So I had to do a conversion course and then bar school and then, um, oh, and then the practical training. So I think in total I trained for, I studied and trained for seven years, I think it was. Wow. Yeah. And, and at what point and, were you miserable with it? For most of it, I think <laughs> yeah. there was, so actually after, after three years in France, I came over to London and my intention was to um, become an actress and to actually audition for, uh, for drama school. I'd sort of made a, a kind of arrangement with my parents and I, w I won't get in, into that because that's a story in itself. Sure. Um, but I basically changed my mind about the acting. So uh, I wanted to stay in London, but my mum basically told me, no, you're not you're coming back to France because she was still um, living in France. And so it was like, well, what do I do? The obvious thing was continue studying law if you're not going to do acting. Yeah. Um, so when I went back, I think that year, I really had a lot of fun. Um, and, then, and then what happens is that you kind of get into it and you sort of accept that not enjoying something is, you know, somehow they make you believe from the moment you're tiny, <laughs> that doing stuff that you don't like is part of life. Huh. Yeah. So I went back and sort of made the best of that situation and continued studying law. And then I came over um, to the UK and did a, another master's here in, in law. And I was studying international law and somehow, again, a bit of a story, but like um, basically decided to, to train as a barrister. And during my, my, well, yeah, bar school was painful, but the, the practical training, which is called a pupillage, was like, I mean, I have such a, a horrible memory of how painful it was. Like, I felt so uncomfortable in that environment. I was trying so, so hard to fit in. And so it came to the end of, well, before the end of that, there was like, I'm not, I can't do this thing. Hmm. So that's actually when my search for, you know, the right career started for me I think really because it was like okay so I don't want to be a barrister that's the first time I worked with a career coach actually um, okay. and it was the first time I asked myself well if I don't want to do this well what am I going to do what instead? else is there 
Well, I, I was reflecting on, on this, like precisely um, in advance of, of your interview. And what I realize has always been a part of me ever since those days to, to this day is a sense in my body that I cannot explain. But that is the thing that has constantly kept me going is like, this does not feel right. Even if I can't explain it, even if I had my mother for years kind of, you know, in my ear going, are you ever going to, you know, settle down and find the right career for you or, you know, just stick to something? Because I changed my mind about the acting. I changed my mind about the law. I then after I eventually fell into the corporate world doing something else law related and um, changed my mind about that. And that's how I ended up um, retraining as a coach. But all that time, despite, you know, everything that, well, subconsciously you're told you should want, which is, you know, study hard at school and university so you get good qualifications so that you then uh, go on to have a a good profession that means that you're financially stable and secure. And then you go on and buy the, you know, the house or the flat and then you go on to get married and then go on to do all of these things. Yeah. And then you die. And then you die. And all of that was always there. But in my body, like really feeling it in my stomach, in my guts, like this is not right for me. And there are times where it was really hard to have to have conversations with my I remember one conversation in particular was after after I I told them that I was going to retrain as a coach and they were really concerned. Is this your parents? (laughs) Because I basically my parents, yeah, because I basically gone from I quit a six figure salary. Um, and turned around and said, I'm going to retrain as a coach. And Mm -hmm. you know, all the misconceptions that exist about coaches. And it's true. There are a lot of people and more and more kind of coming into the, the industry. Yeah. Um, so they were understandably concerned. And I remember one particular conversation where, you know, they were expressing all of their anxiety, which was only stoking my own. Of course. (laughs) And I, and I said to them, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from as parents but the truth is right now what I need is somebody going, woohoo, go Valerie, you can do this. It's so brave of you to, you know, just quit everything and go for, for what you feels right for you. But if you can't give me that, which I accept, then it's okay. I'll, you know, we'll stop talking about it I'll, and I'll go and get it somewhere else. Which is, um, uh, which is, sounds very sensible the way you're saying it there, but it's really hard because the people closest to us are coming often from a place of love, but it's also fear underneath because they want us to feel safe and be protected. And it's really hard to not listen to those voices uh, or to turn the volume down on them in our own head. Absolutely. And I think, I think something quite big happened for me in that moment and that I was able to, to really accept in a way, in a way, their fear and anxiety and, and that by accepting their fear, I was able to then see their intention behind it, which is the love. So you had some and empathy. That to me is, yeah. yeah. And to me, that was just such the most beautiful thing to, because in that moment for me, it was like, I, I acknowledged and I loved my parents for who they were with no judgment or anger or blame or anything at all. Like really being able to feel and express my love for them. And at the very same time, take care of myself and do what was right for me in that moment, which is, you know what, 
I need encouragement right now. And I accept that you can't give it to me, but this is what I need. So I'm going to do something about it and get it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm connecting the dots a little bit to the little glimpse of, of your childhood and kind of looking to you, you, I think you referred to yourself as an outsider um, and the whole mm-hmm. sort of quest or journey to find belonging or that feeling of fitting in or to find your tribe or your people and, and trying on so many things for size, but something just, just your intuition or your body telling you where it wasn't at rather than a clear sort yeah. of, you know, massive light in the sky going, this is what you're meant to do. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, what a journey. And, and, you know, I realized that is one aspect of the, of, of the story. I was reflecting this morning. I think there's a, there's another aspect that I want to, that I want to share with you. And this is very personal, but <clears throat> it feels important. Um, I was molested as a child, not, you know, I wasn't raped or anything, but, um, I was sexually molested by, uh, by a teacher. And what I realized is that what that did to me was to create a quite deep imprint in me that um, other people's needs are more important than mine. And what I'm aware of is that at that time, I felt in my body that it wasn't right. But I didn't have a clue what was going on. I had actually just moved from South Africa to France. Yeah. So I was like, I think in my seven-year-old head, it was like, okay, they do things differently here. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's going on. So really quite um, young, a really young imprint yeah. when, when your brain is still sort of yeah. forming. Exactly. And I'd always been, you know, a good little girl, very sort of obedient because I'd, I'd noticed that I got, you know, um, approval and what I wanted when I was a good girl. Yeah, so sure. that, that relationship to authority and then not being quite sure what the hell was going on. Mm. Um, but I, I remember um, feeling like really uncomfortable and that it didn't feel good. But like, you know, he was the teacher, so he must know better. And yeah. um, and and I realize now with hindsight that I don't know whether am I trying to this day to heal still? I mean, you know, I've I've, I've looked at this and I've gotten help, but it's it's a big thing that happened. But what I realize is that, you know, I was saying earlier this thing of what does it feel like in my body? That is why that is so important to me, because actually what I'm coming to realize as an adult is that I know and I believe that we all know in our bodies what is right for us. But because we're social animals, we're conditioned, um, you know, part of our survival in a in a social group is to fit in. Yeah. And, and we so, don't often, we've, we've seemed to have lost the ability, some of us, to listen to our bodies in this world of right. noise and distraction. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's why, to me, that's the sort of the, the kind of the personal history that makes this something I'm so passionate about. When I talk about, you know, I was talking about well-being at the beginning, this mm. is what it's about for me as well, is that more than just like, oh, I feel good today and I feel rested, it's like, really listening to my body to know what is right for me. Like, I feel so passionately about that. But I imagine that journey from being seven to who you are now with this beautiful ability to make sense of it and to know what you need would have been a little bit trickier, you know, to even understand the pattern that you keep uh, maybe giving some of your power away or thinking that other people's needs are more important than yours. Yeah, 
Well, I guess it's, it's again, what I was saying earlier about I've always, even when I didn't understand it, even when I wasn't able to articulate it the way I have today, the making sense part of it, I have always in me felt this thing in my, in my, in my stomach, in my gut that was telling me this isn't right. And even when I didn't understand it, somehow I felt moved to, to, to do something about it. That, that's the middle bit if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it completely does. Um, did, did you tell anyone or did you sort of get some help along this journey? So the funny thing is, because, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that it wasn't, you know, serious um, mm. sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, like I said, you know, for me, it was like, okay, they do things differently <laughs> here. It, was, it wasn't the, before I was... Um, I think I must have been 16 or 17. I remember coming home one night and my mum saying to me, do you remember that teacher? Well, you're never going to believe it. He's in court because he's molested all of these kids. And I just went, yeah, he did it to me. And she went, what? And I was like, yeah, he did it to me. But I just integrated it as that was something that had happened to me. Yeah. The other interesting piece actually is um, the, I think the thing that started me on my journey of curiosity about like, how, what makes us tick as humans. So, you know, psychology and all of that stuff that also contributed to me becoming a coach is, um, I remember reading, a, a Daniel Goleman's book on emotional intelligence. Mm. And, um, I was reading the chapter on PTSD where he was explaining that, um, uh, one of the symptoms is that, so we've got this emotional memory and sometimes that gets blocked. So we remember the events but we don't remember how we felt. And it was in that moment, because at that time I was finding that I was feeling uncomfortable with guys and finding myself doing things that I didn't want to do. And I didn't understand. So again, it was like, why am I doing this? I've always been very curious. So that also maybe contributes to the middle bit. Mm. It's always a curiosity about like, why am I behaving this way? Like, you know, understanding with my mind that something's going on, but like it, it feels wrong or something again. And that's when I made the connection. I remembered in that moment that the way I was feeling in the present with guys and feeling uncomfortable was exactly how I felt when that teacher molested me. And so for me, whenever there's something going on in the present that doesn't feel good, that doesn't feel right, I'm like, huh, what is this? I get curious. And I let, it's almost like I let memories bubble up to the surface and I just pay attention to what's the first memory that comes to mind when I just connect to how I feel about something in the present moment. And I found that like an incredibly helpful way of identifying, because we all have scripts because, because, you know, those things that happen when we're young in those formative years is, are so powerful. They get really, they wire our brains in a particular way. That's why I find it so helpful because when I'm able to identify where it comes from, I'm like, oh, that's not me right now. It's just that thing that I tend to do because I'm wired this way. Now that I'm aware of it, I can choose differently. And so that's why I find that so powerful. But, but again, it feels like you, you've, you've got a language around it now that perhaps you yeah. didn't have before or an education no. that perhaps you didn't have before. Yeah. And, and I think that's just down to that curiosity I have about like the way we function as humans. I'm just so fascinated by that. And I, I've just spent a lot of time reading 
books out of curiosity. And yeah. I do spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff because it really, it just genuinely, it fascinates me. It fills me with awe to see how complex we are. And there is so much that, you know, we we think we have control of. And actually when, when you look at sort of the underlying sort of, um, I guess it's it's the the neuroscience underneath, or whatever the right technical term is mm-hmm. for it. There is a lot that we we don't have control over. But for me, the beautiful thing is, if we develop our awareness around how we tick, that is the point at which we we have the our free will. That for me is the expression of our free will. We can choose differently rather than just react to, you know, some brain wiring. Absolutely. And I know you consider yourself a third culture kid in the same way that, that I do, just with the yeah. the travel and all of that. And there was certainly a time in my life when I, I sort of, you know, just wanted to be fucking normal, right? And fit in and not have this strange mm. past and all this, you know, all these strange stories and, and situations. But I realize now in my work with people, so therapy, coaching, mm. training, that really I got a head start from the age of two when we moved to Brazil, Right. Um, to mm-hmm. observe people and to observe right. people from all walks of life and all cultures and develop this curiosity in how different cultures and people behave and how come they think differently or behave differently or what are these cultural right. nuances that um, affect people in different ways. But then what are the similarities within humanity? Because yeah. there's a shitload yeah. of those as well. Um, and it's really fascinating, this um, appreciation that I can now go oh, hey, I had a a head start in learning all of those things and also turning that inward on, you know, how do I look at myself? You know, how do I fix myself? How do I understand my behaviors and how I am in relationship mostly? I I totally, I mean, I relate so much to what you just said. I was was covered in goosebumps. To me, that is just such a beautiful gift of... um, of, of being uh, a third culture kid. Like there's a lot of, um, that feeling of being an outsider isn't always comfortable, but you know, the, like on, on the flip side of that, what you've just described is one of the things that gives me the most joy in life. Isn't it funny? It can be the same thing that can, you know, bring you sorrow, bring, bring you discomfort, but also bring you, uh, fulfillment, joy, uh, and, and uh, allow you to create impact in the world. Right. And, and that's life, right? Every, everything has both got like a, a shadow and a light dimension to it. The paradox of it. Isn't it? Um, I'm, I'm mm. learning, learning that more and more to kind of embrace, mm. embrace the, the shadow side. And it's, it's mm. funny when you have to work so hard for sanity and for um, well-being and to create purpose and impact in the world, uh, it can a survival mechanism can be to to put away the shadow and just project the the good purposeful part of yourself which of course is great and can have impact but I'm learning this process of integration and going I can have impact Mm -hmm. as well as a shadow side or a side that isn't always perfect and be able to present maybe that that vulnerability in a way that still keeps me safe but allows me to connect. Yeah. And I, th- I, I would even go so far as to say that it makes it even uh, a more powerful impact yeah. precisely because when, when you embrace that vulnerability, that is exactly the point at which we connect as human beings. That is our, that is the expression of our humanity. That is when, when we do feel safe to, to sort of open up to each other. But like you say, it's, it's that balance because we also do need to 
to keep ourselves safe. So that <laughs> takes me back to what I was saying about like, you know, trusting ourselves, like what we feel within ourselves. We know deep down, we do know like yeah. what is, what is good for us. And it's developing that sense um, and, and, and learning to hear it, learning to listen to it, I think is really important. Absolutely. Um, and so th- throughout the theme of this, this podcast, um, the topic of adversity uh, is, is sort of themes throughout people's lives, right? So, and we've mm. already heard, heard some from you. Um, mm. Would you consider a, a moment in your life to have been like your darkest point or a, a rock bottom in some way as, as we sort of do you relate to those terms? Mm. I do. Um, like a, a, a really dark place for me. Uh, what comes up is for me, what gets, what really gets me into a dark place is a sense of, um, of failing. Like that really gets me into a very, very dark place. Um, and what's quite interesting actually is that I remember such a point, when was it? 2018 now, not quite 10 years ago. (laughs) Um, or it could have been about 10 years ago. Um, where I, I had to go to go, I had to go to the GP and ask for antidepressants because I was in a really dark place. I was deeply unhappy in the work that I was doing and trying really, really hard to fit in. Um, I was, I had a full-time job. I was, uh, studying for some exams. Um, I was in a relationship that wasn't right for me. And I just felt inside of me that I, I couldn't find the um, the resources. It's like I'd run out of steam and I just didn't know what to do. And again, I, I see now that there was this thing inside of me going, this doesn't feel right. So I've always been able to ask for help when like, usually I try and, and figure out for things for myself, but I've always been able to accept that sometimes I'm not able to. So at that particular point in time, I was noticing that whatever I was trying to do, which normally worked, wasn't working to help me kind of feel a sense of energy. Um, so I went to the GP and, and um, went on antidepressants for, for a bit. And What's interesting for me in this moment is that I recently went through um, quite um, a dark place of, again, that feeling of failure kicking in because, you know, work was maybe a little bit more challenging um, than I was hoping going through a rough patch. And I'm just noticing now how quickly I recovered from that. And I recovered from that in such a different way than I did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I, I had to go to the GP and ask for antidepressants. And this time, the way I recovered from it was from really being present to my experience. So, and and being accepting, basically practicing self-compassion. Like, and it started with just noticing and 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 accepting that I was um, suffering, and that the source of my suffering wasn't that things were tough, but it was because I was beating myself up to no right. end. Right. So the internal dialogue of putting exactly. yourself down, self-criticism, all of that. Exactly. That is actually what sends me to a very dark place and, and sends me to a place of depression is when I'm, I'm beating myself up because I'm going, and you're such a failure and you can't even do this right. And you know, all of that kind of crap. 
I do think and, some, sometimes our depressed, depressive feelings can also be when we're not fully living our truth, you know, absolutely. We're off purpose. We're off, you know, our, our true path and it can just feel overwhelming and dark and heavy. Absolutely. And, and for me, another way of, uh, another, uh, perspective on what you've just said, which I find quite helpful is our needs are not being met. Yeah. In that moment. So yeah, this, this recent tough patch was like practicing self-compassion and focusing on that thing again of what do I need right now and being kind to myself. That is, you know, the core of self-compassion is sort of noticing the suffering, um, accepting that, you know, suffering is, is, is a part of life. It is whether we like it or not. Yeah. And then just, just, you know, actively, um, practicing kindness towards ourselves tell, tell me tell which, the listeners more about that like practically because it sounds like a great concept but practically what does that look like for you is it affirmations is it stopping with with work or stresses or, or what does that look like self-compassion and being kind to yourself yeah it's it's really interesting what i'm finding out is that it can it can look very different the, the first point that is definitely common to to any situation where I find I turn towards self-compassion is the starting point is to notice that I'm suffering. Right. And so, so suffering is really get it in the first place. Yeah. So, and, and suffering is like even irritation, like being annoyed at somebody is, is, is a form of suffering. Yeah. 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 Um, and typically I know for myself, I don't know about you, but I know that when I get annoyed at someone, typically my, my reactive sort of autopilot is go to beating myself up. Oh, I shouldn't be annoyed. I should be, you know, bigger than this yeah. rather than going, I'm feeling annoyed right now. It's okay. It's okay to feel annoyed. I'm a human being. It's part of so the range of human emotion. Right. So that for me is definitely the, the starting point. And when I'm able, cause sometimes it can be the, that can be the hardest thing to catch yourself and to and to have the awareness that you're suffering in in the moment because you're so, so caught up in it. But and if to, I'm able to, to then, do that, yeah, consciously decide that the compassion or those things need to right. come into play. Exactly. If I'm able to catch myself, then it's like, okay, so this is what I'm feeling. It's okay to. So I I, I have a little conversation with myself. It's okay to feel this way, and then I actively choose. I tell myself may I be kind to myself in this moment and give myself the compassion that I need. So just saying those words to myself um, really soothe me and it takes me out of the, the, the beating myself up, which is what I tend to do. And typically that will then, when I, I tell myself, may I be kind to myself, that typically takes me to a place of, okay, so what do I need right now? What would be good for me? And that is where it can look very differently. So sometimes, um, you know, what do I need right now could be actually like um, stopping whatever it is that I'm doing rather than to keep pushing myself, mm. um, you know, relentlessly and to, I don't know, like sit down with a cup of tea and read for 15 minutes or meditate or whatever it is I or even have a bloody piece of chocolate, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. And sometimes it can actually be right. I really need to do this thing because yeah. if I do this thing, it will take care of the stress. And right now, um, not feeling that stress is what is good for me. Yeah. 
But I like how you've, you've posed it as a question, may I be kind to myself, rather than, for fuck's sake, be kind to yourself already, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Shut yeah, up yeah. with the critical voice. Be- it's like criticism in exactly. a different way, right? <laughs> exactly. There's no point kind of, you know, beating up your inner judge because you're yeah. just kind of perpetuating <laughs> the loop. Exactly. Because like yeah. <laughs> um, I'll sometimes be like, for fuck's sake, you know this stuff. You teach people this yeah. stuff. Why aren't you doing it for yourself, you know? Um, which yeah. is not necessarily helpful because it's quite aggressive. Um, yeah. when actually and that, that's the thing. <laughs> go ahead. That, that, that's the thing about self-compassion is that, like, one of the, the, the key components of it is accepting our common humanity. That, and I, I have exactly the same thing that you've just said, that, oh, for fuck's sake, you know this stuff, you should. Yeah, and, do it already. And actually, it's like... Exactly. Do it already. And and the reality is that, you know, we're fallible human beings. So, of course, we're not going to we're not going to be doing it and we're going to be doing the other stuff as well. So it's having, uh, you know, that feeling of, of acceptance um, for, for that fallibility in, in us, because I'm definitely I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And um, <laughs> part, part of my journey has absolutely been an acceptance that I will never stop being a perfectionist, that those tendencies are a part of who I am and that I'm being much kinder to myself by accepting those so that then when they do show up, I, I, I'm open to it being that and therefore making a different choice. Because if I tell myself I'm not being a perfectionist, I'm not being a perfectionist. Actually it is the perfectionism that's kicking in. Yeah. Um, what, what advice would you give to somebody who's deep in the throes of perfectionism? Um, self-compassion. I think that for me has really been a lifesaver and I, I want to recommend a book. I find oh, myself please. recommending this book to everybody. Please do. Um, and it's absolutely been a lifeline for me. Uh, the book is called self-compassion Good title. Um, and the title yeah, so pretty easy. And it, it's written by uh, a lady, an academic called Kristen Neff. It has helped me so much. Like 2017, like I was telling you before we started the interview, was a pretty tough year for me. And uh, it was a real lifeline. I read I read the book twice. <laughs> <laughs> back to back. Keep reading it. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. so to the listeners, if you don't get what the self-compassion concept means or you don't get it yet, read the book. Maybe twice. Yes. Uh, just to get it. Exactly. At least. Maybe more. Keep Maybe it on more. your bedside table. <laughs> just dip in. <laughs> um, what, is, what has this uh, concept of self-compassion given you? What, what's the, what has it allowed you to, to be or achieve within life? That well-being that I was talking about that, that is so important to me, um, it has made such a difference to uh, my experience of life. I, I notice the difference. Um, I experienced quite a lot of stress and anxiety last year. And when I wasn't practicing self-compassion, I mean, it's just almost debilitating, really, because um, you get consumed by it um and it's then you know i it sent me to that very dark place that that we were talking about and i just notice now when i do practice self-compassion when those feelings of stress and anxiety pop up Mm. um i just feel so much more at peace um within myself because i accept that that is part of my experience right now um 
and I'm able to be kind with myself rather than add a layer and beat myself up, you know, add a layer to the stress and anxiety. Um, and obviously I, I don't know whether it's linked or not, but the, the stress and anxiety last year were work related. And, yeah. and what I've noticed is that on that front, like things are a lot better. I know there's, you know, that it's got to do with the cycle and time of year and, and different things like that. But, um, I, I, I noticed that I'm at least able to see that things are a lot better. I think that's the thing. When I'm not practicing self-compassion, everything looks um, just dark and bleak. hopeless and bleak. Exactly. Whereas now, yeah, life just looks different. I, I feel more, more clear and able to appreciate what I have rather than being obsessed with what I don't have, which <laughs> makes a huge difference to my quality of life and well-being. Absolutely. Do you have any um, routines that you just try and incorporate as much as possible, bearing in mind we're human and have uh, so different days are different, but on a good day, is there a particular routine or, or well-being tool that you use to uh, help yourself keep this balance? Yeah. So my, my personal go-to um, is meditation. So I meditate every morning um, for varying length of time. can be anything between 10 minutes and half an hour. I'm trying to do half an hour at the moment. We'll see how long that lasts because wow, it's quite a big chunk of time. Really, yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So do you, we'll, do you, we'll see. Uh, I'm always curious. Do you meditate first thing or do you like yeah. have coffee or shower or like no. wake up first? Yeah, for me, that that is what helped me kind of really incorporate it into my routine is I get up, I go pee, I sit down to meditate. Okay. It's almost like brushing my teeth because I know that for me, at least, sort of um, getting in the shower is trigger for beginning of the day. Got and it. so, yeah. And then the other thing that I do, not on a daily basis, but um, reasonably regularly, is I journal. That I found I find also a really valuable tool for me because it's my time to sort of make sense of stuff and take stock and, you know, take a step back from what's going on and be less reactive because being reactive is actually for me, what creates the stress. So when I'm able to create, um, uh, space to reflect on what's going on and take a step back, that's also really so it's um, creating space helpful. for conscious awareness. The meditation yeah. helps and then the journaling can help so that, and the impact is that you're less reactive and are able yeah. to practice this self-compassion more regularly throughout the day when you need it. Exactly. Because what I'd say is the meditation, absolutely. That is for me the, the, the biggest gift of meditation and the reason why everybody should do it. It's nothing to do with being spiritual or any, anything like that. For me is when you practice meditation, we know it changes the wiring of, of your brain and practically what, um, I see happens is I'm able to take a step back from my thoughts and my feelings. I'm able to see that they are not me. I, I think mean, what creates the stress and anxiety is that we over-identify with our thoughts and feelings and completely get caught up in them. When actually, when you meditate, you, you actually have an embodied experience that your thoughts and feelings are not you. They're just things that happen within you and then they pass. So that when, when stress and anxiety or anything else unpleasant happens, rather than get completely sucked into it, by meditating regularly, um, 
you create a distance between your your felt sense of who you are. This is how I experience it. Um, it creates some distance between the felt sense of who I am and those thoughts and feelings that I have so that I'm able to go, oh, I notice like, oh, this is going on and just stay open rather than get completely sucked in. So that for me is the benefit of meditation. And then journaling is about the reflection and making sense of stuff because as humans, we're sense-making machines. Absolutely. So journaling, I found I find really helpful. Um, for example, when something doesn't sit quite right or I feel disempowered in any kind of way, I love to journal because I I am then able to slow down my thoughts to change my perspective on something. Amazing, and that is incredibly powerful because we all have the capacity to to change our perspective. And the typical example that that um, that we all know is that you know glass full uh, half full or half empty yeah 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 it's the same everybody gets yeah. that it's and and that is true of everything in life i really believe that and it's just developing that um that muscle um because it, as with everything else it's something that, that you can develop is developing that um that habit of changing disempowering perspectives to you know perspectives that serve us um, lovely. So two, two final questions. Um, do you think our adversity um, can positively affect us in life? Absolutely. Has it positively like without, affected your life? I'll tell you one thing. This may sound weird to the listeners, but I'm actually grateful that I was um, molested as a kid. I wouldn't wish it on anybody if, you know, they don't have to yeah experience it but I'm incredibly grateful because I can see that it has been a part of what has set me on my path and where I am today and I wouldn't want to have it any other way I've learned so much from it that is I think the point I'm trying to make about adversity is that we can choose to see that as horrible things that happen to us or on the contrary and that to me is the beauty of being human is that I can choose to see this as something that strengthens me because I've got something to learn from it and I can choose differently. What a powerful perspective. I think uh, so. Yeah, no, so powerful. <laughs> and of course, it's just taking me into, you know, some of the, the challenges that I've faced um, as, as far as sexual assaults and as far as, uh, you know, trust being broken by people in mm. my life and just yeah. having a reminder of, what perspectives are, you know, the choice that I have and the perspectives uh, in how that impacts relationships today, you know, that, that right. sort of intimacy. And these are often the, the trigger hotbeds for things that maybe we think we've dealt with. Um, when, yeah. when we're suddenly sort of intimate with a new person, suddenly those, the, the trust issues or, or the pain or the reactions, as you, as you, as you called it, can suddenly come into play in quite a powerful way leading to you know either pushing away that whole fight or flight response with people yeah um so Mm -hmm. as i said obviously i take so much from this this was the day i needed to hear all of this um Mm -hmm. and so practicing self-compassion around you know the the impact that some of that has had on me and giving Mm -hmm. myself a little bit of that distance in order to choose you know how i behave now uh with with Mm -hmm. people and and generating true true connection um so so much here for me thank you so much valerie 
Um, You're fi- welcome. Yeah, it's so good to talk to you. Um, yeah. Uh, finally, <laughs> if people want to work with you or, or find you online or anything like that, where can they find you? Um, so I've got a website. Uh, it's switchedoncoaching.com. Loved it. Love it. Switched on coaching. We'll add that into the show notes. Valerie, thank you so much for your vulnerability and, and showing up fully as you. I, of course, expected nothing less because you're amazing. Um, thank you <laughs> thank so much you. for the learning that you gave me today and I'm sure our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a joy um, sort of conversing with you and exchanging. I also feel deeply um, nervous by our conversation so thank you appreciate that thank you thank you so much for listening if something helped you today please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone i know that for me isolation can be stuck much longer than i need to be so let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.